Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by that Godzilla to my Kong. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I am uh, bitterly aggressive and territorial, but later on, you know, we're we're okay with you. And our very own King Ghidorah. That's right. It's Eric Ronwick. Eric, how are you doing? (laughs) Three heads. None of them know what they're doing. Because <laughs> it's right. so late and it's draft time. I was about to say it's a perfect, uh, perfect symbolism for uh, Eric during draft season. It's hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. So I, I'm a way better listener than Ghidorah, though. <laughs> hey, he had three heads, man. That's six years. You should be uh, able to listen. Uh, okay, so this is my one of my favorite tweets of this week. So I have to read it. Joe Fan, uh, talking Seahawks. Uh, Tyler Lockett said he lost a half a step when he broke his leg. He said he doesn't need that half a step, but he misses it sometimes. <laughs> oh my and, gosh! And um, does, I just have does to say, he sometimes feel like it's still there? That well, one thing that's weird for me is this is the opposite of what happened with Cooper Cup. <laughs> see, see, Cooper Cup broke his leg, and then he relearned how to run and gained a half a step. Tyler Lockett broke his leg, and he lost the half a step. But Tyler Lockett's still like just as good as Cooper Cup. That's crazy. Way to go, you know, Tyler. It turns out <laughs> that uh, uh, Tyler Lockett was one full step better than Cooper Cup before. And now they have both half stepped to the same level of good. That's how that works. Um, We're doing yeah. some uh, Scott Steiner math here. <laughs> hey, what, do you think, what, do you think about, uh, what do you think about Lockett's half step, Eric? Uh, I think it's a phantom half step. He's, <laughs> he just he feels an itch once in a while. Yeah. And I'd agree with him, honestly. But it's... I think he's right. He doesn't need it. It keeps him. It keeps him out of kickoffs. So I'm totally okay with it. All right. There's there a big threat. There's a big threat on Seahawks Reddit this weekend uh, in the NFL subreddit. It said, "Who is your team's best non-Hall of Fame player?" So I wanted to ask you guys uh, each to tell me who is your. Who do you think is the Seahawk currently not enshrined in Canton who most deserves to go into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, they must to... be retired already. Ooh. Yeah, they must. They must be. I'm gonna say farther than retired. They must be eligible already. Like they, they, they can't be like um, who's someone who just retired who's waiting around. Marshawn. Yeah. Okay, and I, Marshawn's probably gonna make it. He's he's right on that border, but I think that the kind of the the Super Bowl and the the nut grabbing kind of makes him <laughs> iconic enough to get him. Yeah, in, the so. beast quake. He's got the moments. Yeah, he's got the moments that kind of get someone over the hump there. So. All right. Um, do you want me to go first, or do you guys? Do you guys have sure. something in mind? All right. Sean Alexander. Yep. Sean Alexander was a running back who won MVP, a thing that has not happened a super lot of times. Uh, he held the touchdown record for a uh, one whole year, <laughs> and, and uh, was part of a Seahawks team that made a run to the Super Bowl and got uh, raw dogged by some referees. So that 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 is why I, I would say Sean Alexander's his uh, peak was very high, and he definitely went bad. He went sour like that milk that's been in the, the fridge for one week too long. Very quickly turns into something that you do not want around at all. But the peak was good enough. It's better than like um, Terrell Davis, who is in the Hall of Fame. I think if the Seahawks win that Super Bowl, uh, then he's already in. But he kind of gets the uh, <laughs> the ring, rings Arna treatment a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I think Sean Alexander should go into the Hall of Fame. All right. Yeah, that's I'm firmly in the same position. I feel like with Terrell Davis, they made the decision that high peak running backs get in. So then it should just be a matter of time until Sean Alexander's in. So since you picked him, uh, Cam wouldn't be eligible yet. 
Cam, it's not. See, the thing about Cam that's weird is he didn't officially retire at the same time that he did because stopped he, playing. Yeah. He, yeah, he stayed on the roster for like four extra years and finished his contract, and that's why he was always on the sidelines. Um, so yeah, he he never retired. I think until twenty eighteen. Yeah, uh, twenty nineteen, May 9th, twenty nineteen. They terminated wow. his contract, so he's only been retired for two years. Yeah. Okay, so then I'll go with Hutch. Wait, Hutch didn't Steve Hutchinson get in? Oh, in did he? La- in the last class, yeah. I, think I really don't pay attention to the Hall of Fame as delivered by that statement. <laughs> uh, yeah, he went into the Hall of Fame in the twenty twenty, yeah, you know, last class. All right, see, I was right. He's he's uh he's, <laughs> he's um got there, Kevin. He's uh man ahead of my bell. time. Sa- saved by the Bell, the new class. Um, I think the worst yeah, Cam, class. Cam Marshawn uh, are good picks. If people that you know probably will yeah. go in eventually, but with the, since I added that extra layer of rules, that uh, you gotta be go ahead. Extra Eric. layer of rules. Uh, so then, like, do I have to say like Max Michael Strong. Sinclair? Max Strong. <laughs> uh, Sinclair was like one of the top six sack artists of the nineties. So yeah, that's what, pretty good. What about Jacob Green? Jacob Green would it right there with Sinclair, yeah. yeah. Like those are those are interesting quality defensive guys from the eighties. I mean, 90s. Jacob Green had a four year run where he had sixteen sacks, thirteen sacks, thirteen and a half sacks, twelve sacks, and then yeah. he he had another twelve at twelve sack season after that. Um, that's old school though, you know. Not everyone like that's the thing. I think I think there's like a lot of recency bias with stuff like this, right? Like, well, people well, forget how good they were in the eighties. They think they're like the Mariners, where they were never good. But it's not like <laughs> baseball where the old. <laughs> It's not like baseball where the old players have a chance. Like once they're kind of gone by, I, I still think it's amazing that Kenny easily got in, but I don't think, I don't think Sinclair's ever going to get in. I don't think green will. I kind of wondered if, uh, if running back Kurt Warner would get in, but he probably doesn't deserve it. Uh, I think Sean Alexander, I don't really have another name out there that should get in because as much as I love Matthew Hasselbeck and what he did for this franchise, I think is really underrated uh, because he, he had a very short window of being excellent, but it was also a very specific offense. I don't think he's a hall of famer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no hall of quite good. Hall of pretty awesome. Hall of uh, best quarterback until Russell Wilson. I would I would take true I would take Trufant over Sean Springs. Right? But like that's fine. You used to like, love Trufant's Sean another Springs, good example though. of like Hall of that dude's good. Lofa Tupu too is like a Hall of Hall of very good player. Yeah. Eugene Robinson might be someone who like could get in super late, kind of like um kind of like uh gosh dang it. I my brain just turned off air. Kenny Easley. Kenny Easley did. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Uh there we go. Let's um let's head head back uh now to party it up the night before and end up missing. Set <laughs> a little back to the present. Uh, the Seahawks signed Demarius Randall and they made it very clear they're going to try him out at corner. Uh, this probably marks the last move the Seahawks will make before the draft. Although they did bring in Alden Smith for uh for a visit today, I would suspect that even if they're going to sign him though, they would wait till after the draft to try yep. to. Um, help themselves in the compensatory calculation, which I think we're actually down on right now. Uh, so it might not matter. We would need someone that else that, that we uh, we had to sign, right? Uh, but but what do you what do you guys think about the current state of the roster, just overall? So like the current state of the roster, what are the glaring holes to you guys? What is the what are the things that the Seahawks need to get done in the draft and then in the post draft process? 
cornerback, 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 cornerback. I'm, I am severely underwhelmed. Uh, at best, at best, I think I'm whelmed. Meaning, I think we have a crew that <laughs> might, that I'm might whelmed. be better than we think. Uh, I don't think it was a bad move, you know, not paying Shaq Griffin what he got from Jacksonville. But man, I don't. I honestly leave it up to you guys. Where do we fill in these holes? Because I don't think our our free agent dollars are going to get the bodies we need because we'd probably have to pay a lot. And we have no draft picks. And this is not a super flush cornerback draft. We have seven and a half million dollars left, which is enough to get to bring in a couple players. You probably want to you can mark off, you know, one and a half ish million dollars for for rookies. And so that would leave us four to go into the season with. Yeah, I was gonna say we always carry a few million dollars into the season for for you know shenanigans for 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 uh, letting a guy fall into our lap. What we really need is one of our free agents to to get signed. So we're looking yeah. at like so we need someone to sign KJ Wright. Basically, is is the only hope because I don't think anyone signing Nico Thorpe or Demontre Moore, or Geno Smith, easy, or uh, Delano, Delano Hill, Brandon Jackson. Those are our other. Uh, outstanding free agents. So it, we nearly need someone to sign KJ right to get that fourth round compensatory. If no one signs KJ, we don't get the compensatory pick. We need to be pretty aggressive. I think in signing like two or three more guys, especially at corner, Eric, I think is a good call. Uh, Kevin, is there any other glaring holes to you? Yeah, I think corners definitely the big one. Um, and then the other spots, I wouldn't mind getting a little more depth on the interior of the defensive line. And I'd like to bring in somebody to challenge at center and wide receiver three. Yeah, there, there's been some. You know, it it, it depends on how it, how Rasheem Green and LJ Collier end up fitting into the the roster, right? Is how yeah. that kind of determines how much defensive line where or where where we need the defensive line help because Rasheem Green and LJ Collier right now, I I think most people are are somewhat unsure where they're going to play on the line, right? Like. LJ yeah, seems like three he, tech or five tech. Are they playing? Is he playing three tech? Is Rasheem Green playing three tech, five tech? Um, so it's 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 really hard to know exactly how that's all going to shake out. And so, plus with Rasheem Green with his eyebrows, the way they're looking, he could play some nose. I think uh, just from pow- powered by the brows, dude. They're so great. They're the we have them on our Discord. We have a Rasheem Green eyebrows emoji. That's how majestic they are. Here's so, the thing: yeah. Rasheem Green benches probably like twenty five. His eyebrows do like another five, though. Yeah, just pick it up for the for the rest of the. So, yeah, I I I think that that's a pretty big hole, and then wide receiver three is a is a hole for me. I mean, we can all we all love Freddie Swain here. Um, but, all aboard the Swain but, train. But we're we're projecting a little bit, and it would be nice to have something that was more of a sure thing there, in my opinion. So it's like we talked about before like if if josh reynolds hadn't been picked up already you bring in a guy like josh reynolds and you go oh freddie swain beat out josh reynolds for the wide receiver three job i feel great about freddie swain yeah and uh the thing about the you know you say freddie swain and then people might be like well john ursua can compete for that job i don't have a lot of faith in the uh the john ursua project he's probably like 41 years old by now i was about to say i don't know man he's a crafty veteran you know, uh, it brings a lot of intangibles, leadership. <laughs> I like how other other Seahawks media loves him so much, and we just make jokes about how he came into the league as like a twenty six year old. That's the laziest. Laziest. He's, I don't uh, even think he went on a mission. Like you know, he wasn't like one of those BYU kids who like <laughs> you know went to what went, went, like 
went to Madagascar for three years, you know, has a wife. He went on a fifth year of college mission where he just (laughs) wanted to study more. He's like a rich man's Amara Darbo. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that sentence means. It means that he's a guy who's supposed to be the next thing and he's at least at least we didn't spend a third round pick on him. We just traded a sixth round pick for a seventh round pick to get him. All right. (laughs) Let's get into uh, let's get in. Yeah, that's my out, least it's, favorite. It's worked out really good the last couple of years with uh, John Ursua and then what, this last year with uh, Stephen Sullivan, Stephen Sullivan, who is not on our team anymore. So well, as a tight how, end or a defensive end. So uh, originally, uh, Alistair Corp make this great spreadsheet. Uh, the Seahawks have certain measurables they look for in certain drills. Uh, so they there are certain thresholds that you need to cross and they, you know, they'll bend a little bit, but that uh at crew analytics on Twitter picked up the mantle said, I'm going to take over this because uh, Alistair's no longer using the tweeter. Uh, so, so great job. Crew analytics, uh, big props. Thank you so much. Uh, basically the idea here is that they're because of the physical thresholds, you can basically cross off a bunch of prospects from being Seattle Seahawks immediately. You, there, there's guys that you're just not going to draft cornerbacks with sh- short arms. Although, there, Pete Carroll in this offseason has interviewed and said, because of DJ Reed, I think we need to be a little less strict with our with our uh, with our what, what is the what is the word I'm looking for thresholds. Well, we need to yeah. our thresholds can can be uh, we don't need to be as strict with the arm length one specifically was the one he mentioned. So this is a good year to maybe look at some guys who normally like uh, a guy with 31 and a half inch arms. I'd be like, all right, cross it off. Let's go to the next guy. But now now I'm like, oh maybe. Maybe we will draft a guy like that, right? Because DJ DJ made them uh, – he's a mold breaker for them. And because of that, they might look at a guy that we'll talk about in a little bit, some guys that we'll talk about in a little bit. So we're not going to start at corner, though. We're going to start at defensive tackle. This is a position of light need. Like Kevin said, uh, another depth piece here would be really helpful. So, Kevin, what's a day two guy that you are looking at that you would love to see in a Seahawks uniform? Maybe a guy you would stick at 56 if he fell or, or a, guy, a guy like that. So two guys that I really like on day two um, that I'd love to see fall to us at 56 or if we dealt back, I could see them going a little bit high and not being there when we get there at 56, though, are uh, Levi on Wuzurike out of Washington and Ali McNeil out of NC State. And so I want to go a little bit more into Ali McNeil because Ali McNeil just makes me happy as a person. Um, take a lot of the things that we say about Puna Ford and then put him in an NC State jersey, and then we could say a lot of the same things about Ali McNeil. His arms aren't as freakishly long, but he's over 32-inch arms at 6'1". He's kind of a squat build. He's uh, Eric's mini-fridge with uh, mm-hmm. arms and legs. Uh, he's sub-540, uh, lots of bench reps, um, very explosive for an interior defensive line player. He's got really good lateral quickness and burst, he could play the zero tech, one tech, or three tech. So he could play straight up over the center, or he could play in either the gaps on the guards. He's really raw as a pass rusher, which he kind of reminds me of Jaron Reed that way. When Jaron Reed came out, he kind of had some bull rush moves and like a bit of a rip, but he was one of those people where you could bank on his run coverage skills. And then he had the physical tools to develop as a pass rusher. I think Ali McNeil is the same way. Lee McNeil is dummy athletic for a guy that big. Yep. Uh, like that heavy. Uh, 6'1, 317. And uh, he is like dumb. 
athletic. He, he jumped a 30 and a half inch vertical at 317 pounds, which is biz- biz- he's bonkers. slightly unathletic for a running back. Yeah, he's he's, he's <laughs> really he's really good. Um, OK, uh, I'll, I'll do Le- Levi on Wojcicki then. Um, here's the thing about Levi on Wojcicki, OK, is that he could go in a lot of different places in this draft because play to play uh, is it's it's all over the place. Um, but when he when he really hits, it is it is something else. He is a twitchy athlete, and he is really buff. Like he is not he has not put on any f- like like fat, you know, for a guy who's six three, two hundred and ninety pounds. He's jacked. He, he's like jacked. He could easily put on 10, 15 pounds and reach that weight threshold that the Seahawks he looks like, like the their, rock. <laughs> their interior players to be at. And uh, his arms are long. He, he's really strong. Uh, also jumping 30, 30 inches. Um, the thing I liked about him, though, is he's disruptive in the center of the field. So on the inside, he's able to – he's really able to, like, fire hard and, and get, get penetration in the in the middle. And when you get penetration through the cent- through the interior like that, we see it against the Rams, right? It really screws up the pocket for the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I think that if he puts on a little weight and he could play both interior positions, uh, he could be super great. If he's – you know, if, if he is who he is and, and that's how big he gets and he's only a three-tech – um, then yeah, that maybe maybe hurts his draft stock a little bit. We can get him in around end around two or the beginning of round three. Uh, all right, Kevin, what's a what's a late in the draft guy that you want to to highlight as a Seahawks fit? I actually really like the late draft late draft D tackles. One thing I really like about the D tackle position is if you're getting like rounds four, five, or six, then you can get a guy who's going to be a run stopper, and just getting a big guy in the middle who stops the run is valuable. And my favorite of those guys is Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M. As Eric will tell you, it's our prerogative oh, to thank draft you, Bobby Kevin. Brown. Um, he's 6'4", he's 321, 34 and three-quarter inch arms, which is, this dude's uh, size and length is ridiculous. And then we talked about, oh yeah, for being 6'1", 317, Ali McDeal jumped 30 and a half inches. Man, Bobby Brown jumped 33, 113 inch broad. Uh, this guy had like this guy's physical tools are excellent. He has really good base. He plays with a lot of balance. He has uh, quickness and power to handle double teams either way by splitting or by occupying. Um, the big thing is though his burst, his first step, um, his gap discipline, his technique, all those things need a lot of work. He's really a big project, but when you're as athletic as he is and the tools are as good as his are, he's basically, he could probably come in and immediately be like a decent two down uh, run stopping D tackle and then just develop from there into something better. The The big problem that the Seahawks would have with him is that he's undisciplined in gap coverage. Um, all right. I have a couple of different guys I could go, but I'm going to go in a different direction than I talked about in the pre-show. I'm going to go Jonathan Marshall. Uh, and the reason I'm going to do that oh. is because uh, Jonathan Marshall has all the physical tools. He's 6'3", he's 3'10". He jumped high, he jumped far. He could bench a lot. 36 benches. I think that's first for the position uh, for one tech. And uh, and so for me, Jonathan Marshall has all the physical tools. But when you watch him on tape, he starts off real good. And then some plays he just takes off. Uh, it doesn't seem dude gets gassed. Yeah. It just seems like he's just tired. And in his first three seasons, he didn't play like a full retinue of snaps. And it makes sense that in his senior season, 
he finally plays all the snaps and he just kind of gets beat up by the end of the game against these SEC offensive lines, which are NFL quality. So basically he needs to come in and have someone hype him up and light a fire under his butt. Well, that sounds like a lot like Peter Clay Carroll to me. So if we end up with like a like a late fifth or a sixth round pick and he's sitting there on the board, I think it's a good it's a good project because there's no physical reason why this guy couldn't be an NFL um NFL he player. Has if he does, then you, but the thing is in a rotation, <laughs> if the Seahawks are only going to play him on third downs, I mean, he'll be fine. Right. So, so you just throw Jonathan Marshall out there on third down and let him be disruptive in the center of the field. Uh, this that, guy's crazy athletic. You're right. And like his bull rush was sick with really good leverage, mm-hmm. but this dude got gassed. Yes. Like we joked on the discord about Chris Carson getting gassed. He has this guy needed really, oxygen. He has really quick hands. He He's so fast on stunts too. Like when they, yeah. when you, they bring him around on a stunt, like the key is just he destroys people, but yeah, like, like he just gets tired and then, yeah, he's just not, he's like a situational pass rushing three tech to start. Well, I think, well, I think he could be a pass rushing one tech or like, yeah. Because, one tech. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is you bring him he's in got on bulk because he's pretty big. Yeah. He's, he's six, three, three, 10. He's a legit 300 pounder. And so you bring him in to play one tech and just, you say like, Hey, rookie year, your job on third downs, but disrupt run some stunts with us, make some problems in the center field. It's you like play, you and LJ are doing an X up or whatever. Yeah. You play, you play 21 snaps a game at most, you know, it's like that's and that, that on that role. I think that's a guy who could be really successful and someone you could get for a lot less draft, draft capital because of the obvious problems where he's not an every down player. Okay. Let's move to edge. The Seahawks have added. I'll fix him real quick. Oh, no. It's always, it always hangs over my head whenever there's like a, a guy like this. Um, Okay. Edge players. Uh, Seahawks added a million edges this offseason, including last year's second round draft pick, Darrell Taylor. <gasps> Taylor. Sorry. This might not be a position of need as much as it used to be, but still one where the Seahawks could add a quality depth player. Uh, Kevin, who's an early day pick who's caught your eye in the at the Leo or five tech position? For the yeah, Seahawks. I think just kind of talking overall draft philosophy, I think the Seahawks are a team that tries to grab an edge every single year, which isn't a bad idea. And so I think there's a glut of kind of late round one into day two guys that all have really like solid athletic profiles and have various like red flags because of injury or sitting out in 2020 or inconsistent tape or they were used in a different way in college than they will be in the NFL. And so they're going to land literally anywhere from like pick 20 to like pick 90 and uh, it's really hard for me to figure out where different ones will land. So three guys I got my eye on are Joseph Osai out of Texas, Peyton Turner out of Houston, and Joe Tryon out of Washington. And Peyton Turner's the one that I'd like to talk about. Peyton Turner is a physical freak. Uh, 6'6", 268, 35-3-8-inch arms, which are absolutely insane. Um, he did I, think 20... it, I think it was the second longest arms at the position right, when I sorted by arm length. So, yeah. Oh, crazy. yeah. Yeah. That's I, I knew it was just like that's like very long for a left tackle and at six, six and then ten and a half inch hands. The guy has the guy has just an extreme wingspan, which is a big advantage. Then he had 23 reps, which with 35 inch arms, 23 reps is a lot because that guy's lifting up a long way. Uh, 36 inch vertical. Um, and then the big one is the three cone time you're looking for for that kind of bend and flex he had a six seven three cone which tells you that he's really quite bendy and you could see that on tape he's high cut 
he bends well, but it can get him in some leverage trouble in the run game. And so he might be uh, more of a pass rush guy where his run defense comes along. But if he can learn to play with leverage, he becomes an every down edge. And I just feel like, um, you know, his his overall ability is really, really high. He just he doesn't have a great first step. So he doesn't have those like immediate get to the quarterback sacks. And then there's those questions about Rundy, which is why he might be able to drop into that late round two, early round three. Um, okay. I'm gonna pick another guy who gets tired. You ready, Kevin? Do you, yep. do you know who it is already? Uh, got a couple ideas. Carlos Basham Jr. Yep. Uh, Carlos Basham Jr. Is one thing. It's First weird of all, about, nickname Boogie. Yep. Boogie. A plus. Uh, he has, he needed to play more. He needed to play more physical in every, everything I was watching. I was just like, this guy should be running this person over. And he's why? Not. Because he's a giant human and he tries to be a finesse edge. Yeah, he, they they played him at they played him at Leo his senior year and his his stats were way worse. Like mm-hmm. they played him as like a like a stand up in, in his prior two seasons. If you go back and watch his junior and sophomore season tape, uh, he was playing a lot more five tech and was much more effective. And I, he's the kind of guy who I would love to get because if he hangs out with Cliff Averill for a summer, he is going to get a lot better. Yes, and and that is why I think Carlos Basham in like round end around two or beginning around three, trading back could be a really really nice prospect for the Seahawks. Um, I think he reminded me a lot of Frank Clark in his like 2019 tape, where he was um, had his hand in the ground uh, because for his size he bends better than you think he will. And he kind of takes really smart angles to the quarterback. There's plays where he just like blows the whole play up by yep. himself. And it's like, why don't you do that more? <laughs> I mean, he only had five that sacks. all the time. He only had five sacks a senior season. Like, I really do think like it's it's confusing why he did it. And in his junior year, he did it a lot more. Like he yep. was much, he was more disruptive with, with a more familiar alignment where, um, I mean, he's always playing outside the tackles, you know, so he would have to adjust a little bit playing towards the Seahawks, but yeah, because he'd be, but it's something he should tackle. be good at. Yes. But it's something he'll be good at because he won't, you can't play, you can't play patty cake and like get, get beat up, let yourself get uh, beat up. You can, you get, when you play over the tackle, you're going to get physical and he will, I think he will, would relish the role. So that's, that's why I think Carlos Basham's kind of a sneaky, uh, Seahawk, uh, for day, for day two. All right. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, what's your, uh, what's your day three, uh, defensive end? All right, I've got a few different guys that I think could all go again. Like this is kind of all over the place and for different reasons. So I have Rashad Weaver out of Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. who um, his athletic testing numbers were I think better than people thought they would be. Uh, he came off an ACL injury that really sapped his explosiveness, and that yeah. showed on tape. Yeah, and, and he didn't jump as high as I think like he would have before the injury. That was like yeah. the big, the big marker that. Um... But he had a sub seven three comb, which is really cool. So he's kind of bendy that way. Deo Odingbo out of uh, Vanderbilt tore his ACL. And so he's a guy who just has incredible length, is very toolsy, but very raw. And, and you could end up. Didn't oh, do an athletic testing. So didn't do any athletic testing. So could really drop because they don't have a lot of stuff to go off of, you know, without the. There's less tape this last year and then no athletic testing. And it's like. And he's uh, a big project, and so you'd want those numbers to know what you're projecting exactly. Yeah. 
Um, but a guy I want to talk about is Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa. So Ellerson Smith is 6'7", 250. Um, so tall, thin, pretty long arms. Uh, and he is a athletic test numbers were insane 41 and a half inch vertical 127 broad and then his mobility was pretty good he's a little tight hipped but overall he kind of reminds me of uh chris clemens where he's one of those guys where as coming in as a situational pass rusher at least to start his career he's going to be a little bit of a liability in the run game early on just because he's so um tall that he's going to lose leverage battles a lot. But as a situational pass rusher on the outside who might go in like the sixth round, I think he's really interesting because he could develop into a really good player. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Shaka Tony. And I, Shaka Tony's problem is that he's small and doesn't really have an NFL position. What's he uh, like? 6'3", 245? 6'2", 242. Yeah. He's pretty small. And... So here's the thing. He could, we could, he, this is a guy we're going to, you're going to be, he's going to be available probably either in the sixth, the seventh, or maybe even as a UDFA. And you look at Shaka Tony and you don't see a position, but for the Seahawks, this is why I like him. And I think why he might be a smart pickup one, he could be pretty good. Like you could develop him. You get a little weight on him. You could turn him into a Leo. He maybe could get into the rotation. A little bit like of a, a Jacob Martin. Yeah. Like a Jacob Martin. Exactly. But even if he doesn't, he will. He this guy, he's six three, uh, or six two, two forty two, pretty big guy, and he ran a, a four five one forty, and so this guy will be effective on special teams. There's no way that this guy's not a three year contributor for special teams. He is a good athlete. A uh, hundred twenty eight inch broad jump, thirty nine inch vertical jump, ran a one one point five four ten yard split, which is ninety seventh percentile for the position. I mean, he will contribute on special teams. So even if at the end of the day we can't get anything out of him because he doesn't put on the weight or he just doesn't ever have a real NFL position, guess what? This guy is a, can be he can be a special teams ace. Shaka Tony can beat people up in special teams, and it's not going to take a lot to get him. I think you might be able to even get him after the draft is over. So that's why I. I'm a fan of getting Shaka Tony. There you go. Yeah, it's a good one. I, this um, tape's fun in college. Oh yeah, he's he's fast. Like he he has good. And he, do you know the other thing is is for a guy that that's small, that's kind of a positional tweener. He actually does good pass rush moves. Like he plays fundamentally like sound pass rush. He's just small, so he doesn't. He loses sometimes when maybe he should have won, or if he was bigger, he would have won. Yeah, uh, he like does it, a good speed to power conversion. Like, he, like he'll hit you like a freight train. If you get if you get hands on him, he's basically not gonna mm-hmm. not gonna win the play because it, it, he's just too small. All right, let's go to linebacker. The Seahawks uh, maybe are losing KJ. Right? Seems like that's the direction we're heading. Although if KJ doesn't find a home after the draft, maybe we we uh, can get him back. Uh, that's, I think that's the, what the Seahawks are thinking right now. It's like either we're gonna get a fourth round pick next year because someone else signs KJ, or we're gonna bring KJ back, right? Like yep. that. It's kind of like a like a A, a B choice because he's really the only guy that I think could be in the compensatory calculation that we have left. So we might linebacker might be a position that we look at uh, depending on how you feel about Cody Barton. So what is a day two uh, pick? Or maybe formationally, you know, maybe Jamal Adams is just a linebacker next year. What's a day a day two guy that you have your eyes on, Kevin, for the Seahawks? All right. So um, with linebacker, honestly, it's not a position that I love for day two because I think a lot of the really good guys are going to go really early. 
So mm-hmm. if a guy is going to slip from what I've seen and man, his athletic testing probably makes it so he won't. Uh, Jameen Davis out of Kentucky was being talked about in that late round two, early round three. And that guy's just a freak. Um, he's built like KJ and he runs like Shaquem Griffin. He's small right now, 234. I do think he could get a little bit bigger, but he he's like the classic, like, like, oh, if this guy gets a little seasoning, it's on. Like, the, he is, he could be so, so good. Yeah, dude's a, dude's just a, an absolute athletic freak. 42-inch vertical, 132 broad. Like, that's elite, elite numbers. And then uh, his play at Kentucky was good. Like, he was a quality player. He was somebody you had to worry about a lot. He didn't get on the field until late in his career, which becomes a little bit of a concern. Um, but that's the same story it was last year with uh, your boy out of LSU who ended up on the Ravens. Patrick Queen. Yeah. It's similar to the Patrick Queen story, um, which he was playing behind some pretty good Kentucky linebackers, but some guys where his athleticism should have beat them. But at the very least, that means he should start off as a special teams ace. So he'd be interesting, but I'd really hope we'd pass on linebacker round two. Yeah, I don't see any round two or three linebackers other than Davis that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a guy that we should try out. Okay, I mean, yes, if for some reason, like, you know, Parsons is is uh, he smokes weed on Twitter yeah. on an Instagram live before the draft and starts falling. Yeah, if uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromo ends up with a, a, a fake <laughs> online dead girlfriend like other Notre Dame linebackers mm. and falls like, sure, absolutely. Yeah, but there's there's really not like a guy here that I'm like, oh, yeah, day two, this could be the guy. Because most of the guys that maybe could go on day two, I think they actually could fall to to like round four or or the big uh, thing is, I think the guys that fall to round four aren't going to be much worse than the guys that are going. Like they're better. They're better three. fits for what we want. Like, like Justin Hilliard might go in round three, but he's not like a Seahawks fit at all. Like his athletic right. testing is like, eh. like that. That he would. There's no way that guy's on the Seahawks draft board. I would. On guarantee the other hand, like round four is, later, uh, like Pete Werner, he's another the other Ohio State guy. He might be there in round four, and his athletic testing is really strong. And he plays coverage linebacker. He needs to learn how to attack downhill better, which is something our linebacker coaches teach really well. He'd be a guy I'd be interested in. What do you think about Jabril Cox? Just because that's like the other another guy that's like getting like a uh, you know round two buzz. Uh, I think he would be interesting. Um, I think he's a good player. I wouldn't want to spend that pick on him, but like if he fell, sure. I feel like we already have a player like that. Yeah, it's Brooks. No, it's 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 not Brooks. It's Jamal Adams. Okay, <laughs> like it's Jamal Adams is just like better Jab- Jabril Cox. Like it. Sure. He he like the, they do the same things. Like Jabril Cox. That's the other thing is like 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 we've talked about here, all offseason. Adams is gonna be playing a lot of weak side linebacker stuff. Jabril Cox. Jabril Cox makes reminds me of like Michael Bulware, where like this guy maybe is a linebacker, maybe he's a safety, but really he's kind of in between those two positions, and it it's uh. It's not gonna. I mean, he played. He played a lot of slot cornerback uh, in yeah. in college. Like it, he's just a, a weird tape study. Like where you watch him and you're like, I don't know what this guy is. And I feel like the modern NFL knows how to use that better though. So I hope he mm-hmm. can actually get a career. I think that he, if he lands in our side, I don't think the Seahawks are the right all right spot. All right, late day guys. Is there a late day guy that caught your eye? Yeah, Pete Werner or people like him. So give me anybody who ran like a uh, Baron Browning, but he's going to go really high because someone will try and turn him into an edge rusher in a 3-4. You really think someone's going to do that to Baron Browning? That's messed up. Like Really? Because they can't play linebacker. I, I mean, I don't know. I think that he's a he, bad linebacker. He's a total like, um, 
He's a pass rushing three four outside linebacker. Like if yeah, that's, he's anything that's else, he's not good. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> I think Derek he could Barnes. be like a he could be like um like a like a Bruce Irvin. Uh, yeah, I think that's the most linebacker he could possibly be. His physical, Irving. his physical tool set is oh, so freak. good. That's why I like. I really want him to try to. They just need to like get him to learn how to read and read a, read what's going on and and like he needs to hang out with someone who's really good at reading the play because dude, he if was he at can, Ohio State in a really good linebacker room, yeah, this dude is just not that. It's not happening, man. I, I know, but the physical tools are crazy. Man, he it majored just, in football. But it dri- like it drives me nuts. I mean, these guys. Here's one thing. Room. Here's one thing that that I I want to make clear. I think that people don't understand. Like, if you play big time college football like this, you are you know what you're doing. These guys aren't dumb. Like, I think there's sometimes these some of these guys get like reputation. Like, oh yeah, you know they're they're they couldn't figure out the playbook. I mean, they, they're still you know basically football geniuses, right? Some like, people just can't read and react in real time. Like, yes, we're talking about splitting hairs. He can't figure he he's too slow to react to what's going on around him. And when he's given a mission like a pass rush, you're right. That's when he's at his best. Um, I agree. Pete Werner would be awesome. Pete Werner uh, would be Garrett so Wallow or Wallow, however you say his name out of TCU mm-hmm. or uh, Derek Barnes out of Purdue. The, like I'm looking for a guy who tests really well that we could pick up in the sixth round. And maybe he's a linebacker or maybe he's just a special teams ace. Yeah, just uh, just another kind of like the same logic that I use for Shaka Tony. Yep. Um, that's that works. For Downside me. is four years of really good special teamer. Yeah, that's Pete, what the six round. Pete Werner would actually be a good player though, but you yep. probably have to pick him in the third or the fourth. He's not going to make eh, fourth. Probably probably early fourth is the yeah, latest. Exactly. Like uh, if he was sitting there with our fourth round pick, or like if we traded back and picked up an early four, and he was there, I would not be sad to see us get him because I think he's a really good coverage linebacker who could become like. I feel like the thing that our linebacking uh, coaches teach really well is see ball attack ball. And mm-hmm. that's what he's bad at. Like he, he is, his worst play is downhill. And if you look at everyone, like KJ Wright will just yell at him until he attacks a guy on a screen. Like he will just yell in his face. <laughs> so, you know who I want uh, is the late, my late run guy, uh, buddy Johnson, because he figured out how name? to be, well, that's part of it. But also, he figured out how to be violent his senior year. Uh, <laughs> like his junior tape is not is underwhelming. And then, so if you want to see like like a growth arc, watch some of Buddy's junior year games, and then watch a couple of his senior games, and be mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, he's kind of figuring it out. And the thing is, is that he has oh, a lot of he buddy. still has he still has a lot of growth to do technique wise. So he's someone who I could see improving with with good technique work and uh, become a better player. And like Kevin said, he will be an instant special teams contributor, uh, which is what you want out of these uh, like late round picks. You want guys that can come in, play special teams, contribute in that way while they're maybe learning to. And be... having a good special teams is important. We've seen that. All right. So uh, he's not an old Southern coach. No, no, nor is he a NASCAR no, superstar. He's, he's, I thought he's, he's a big dude too. Like, uh, he's no, of course he's no he joke. Is. Buddy Johnson is Just six foot two thirty. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to cornerback. Eric's position of choice. Yes, please. Here we go. Uh, pick a day two guy, Kevin, that you want to, to land on the Seahawks and hope probably play CB two from day one because that's uh, that's yep. probably what we need if we're. Not going to make any more moves at cornerback. Yeah, because we're in this weird spot where right now we have basically Flowers, Reed, and Witherspoon all competing for two jobs. 
And I really want a fourth guy competing for two jobs because I'm not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love us to go corner and guys that I would be willing to pick right where we're sitting at 56, but would love even more if we could trade down and get them. And I think we could. Uh, two guys out of Georgia and a Syracuse guy. So Eric Stokes out of Georgia, Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, and Nafita Melifonwu out of Syracuse. You like are... Tyson Campbell? Yes. I feel like Tyson Campbell plays small. <laughs> like he he he's big. He has long arms, but he he's like reverse DJ Reed, where like he lets plays people below push his him around. Yeah. And I'm like, get out of here with that. Like and, stop. And stop. what You're technique big. do we teach really well? You're big. Let push other people around. Stop being stop being such a, a Yeah, we pushover. need to teach him how to play press. And I feel like that's something that we do well. Yeah, if he he would need to be fixed because like as now, but I do like the other guys. But his mirror, but his mirror is really good. Bugged me on the tape, so I wanted to to point. Like I like his mirror skills. (laughs) That's it. And I feel like he. Uh, So what was your what's your favorite of of those? All right, Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes. I think Eric Stokes has great size, great makeup speed, plays really well in zone. That's the big thing. I think he's a great zone guy, and we play a lot of cover three and cover one, and so. and I think he has press man skills, but he's really grabby, which makes him a Seahawks corner. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's 100%. Uh, all right. Uh, a guy who comes up in every Seahawks mock, I think you see. Uh, a guy everyone's talking about because he's so obviously a fit. Uh, Ifiatu Melifonwu. Uh, physical tools, man. But he also plays a little small. But his physical tools, I think, are, are premier. They are better than just about... Uh, everyone in terms of his length and his burst uh, jump 42 inch vertical 97th percentile for corners 134 inch broad jump that's uh, 98th percentile uh, his 10 yard split his short split is 95th percentile so even though his 40 looks a little slow 448 uh, he's fast at the at the beginning which is really what you want so uh, yeah his long speed might need help but you know we got we got uh, help over the top digs so i'm not super worried about that uh, he'd be great but he seems to be a riser and i'm worried that at this point he's just not going to be there when we pick uh would you agree with that kevin it's hard to say i feel like there's kind of a glut of guys that are kind of samey uh milifonwu it would not surprise me if he went somewhere in the 30s and it would not surprise me if he went somewhere in the 60s yeah. and i would say the same thing about pretty much all of those day two corners i feel like corner and edge are both kind of a glut yeah, corner has a lot of guys that are, I feel like, are really interesting. And really good um, fits for our scheme. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, like, a guy, a lot of guys have risen, too, throughout the process. Like, Asante Samuel Jr., when I, so when I first start watching tape, you know, I start, like, at right at the end of the season, like, the day it ends. And Asante Samuel Jr. was way farther down draft boards than he is now because oh, yeah. he's small. He's 5'10", 184. And this is a perfect example of a guy who uh, the Seahawks might have broken all their rules for to let him play outside corner. Dude, because, that guy's such a natural. Because he's, he just understands how to play the position. And he, one thing he does is, um, so guys can run in gears. Uh, like you see it with like a guy, a classic example is Antonio Brown, right? He's fast all the time. He's always playing fast, but he has an extra gear where he can get away from guys. Uh, and he's able to shift between those gears, which messes with people. Sante Samuel does that uh, corner mirroring the, the other player. And that's, Really he reminds me of a uh, um, Richard Sherman, where Richard Sherman had this extra closing gear that he didn't look like he was speeding up at all, and suddenly he was going twice as fast as he thought he was, and he would just kind of get in and touch the ball. 
right. uh, Samuel does the same thing. Kevin, I think you wanted to bring this guy up for day three, but I'm just going to tell you this guy's not going to make it to day three. So let's do Benjamin St. Just now. So uh, Benjamin St. Just, <laughs> I have going either probably like at the end of the third or beginning of the fourth. I think that's correct. I think he's going to be a third round pick at this point. He's he he tested really well. Yeah, and, and, and he's just such a great fit for our system. Mm-hmm. Six so, three, thirty two, and five eighths inch arms. Uh, ran a four five one forty. He has a good vertical. His change of direction um, yeah, numbers shuttle, are elite. Shuttle is elite, yeah. And uh, he's he has great physical tools. He's a natural fit for zone. He can just erase dudes in press. Like, he could just, like, end your day on the line. But he had some injury concerns at Michigan before he transferred to Minnesota. And uh, he has some technique that he needs to figure out. Like, his straight line speed is very beatable, which is a bit of a problem. But... Again, in a good cover one or cover three system, that's something that you can make up for. So as a zone fit, he's really strong. Yeah, I think that there, the, the the reason he was going to fall before is that he only put like 400 snaps on tape in yep. his in his college career. And so I think he actually put exactly 420. Uh, but then he uh, balled out at the Senior Bowl and the East really Shrine game. Bowl, and then they measured his arms. And yep. it was like 32 and 5 eighths inches. And everyone was like, oh, snap, this is the dude. And then and he so, ran a three cone and everyone was like, oh, dang. Yeah. So he, the thing is, is that like, if you watch the thing I'm hoping is that because he played so little, everyone just watches the Penn state game from 2019 <laughs> where he just gets killed by KJ Hamler. Oh like, dude. And, uh, and then, and then that knocks him down to like round three, late round three, round four, where we've already traded down and we're waiting for him. Cause he's a perfect fit for the Seahawks offense. And, uh, all right, now let's go to and the, I would say even if we ended up trading back and we pick somewhere in like the seventies, I'd be comfortable getting him there just because of how good of a fit he is. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to the, uh, the real, uh, day three guys, uh, Kevin, who's your, who's your, uh, who's got your eye in the day three for the corners. Oh. All right. So there's a bunch of guys that I think, um, like the day three corners are projects. Mm-hmm. So Israel Makawamu out of South Carolina, so, so you know that meme where it's Vince McMahon like uh, getting getting excited. Yes. So that that's this when when uh that's Pete when Carroll thirty four inch arms when he sees the, the <laughs> six foot four thirty four inch arms. Pete Carroll's like oh <laughs> yeah with the laser beams and everything. Yes, that's exactly correct. Uh, um, this guy is built like Brandon Browner, and the problem is that when you're Brandon Browner. You are fringe with a really, really, really small uh, window because your change of direction is always going to be a problem. His he did not run. He did not run speed drills. No, and I, I, I wonder why. And uh, there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, he like his three cone brutal. is basically going to be his three cones going to be like, how fast does an aircraft carrier turn? He played like some safety snaps and boy. Uh, yeah, he's. He's an interesting prospect just from a length standpoint. And like, I could totally see them being like, hey, this is another Trey Flowers. You know what I mean? Yep. Like project length guy who's really physical that doesn't, you know, but he is. Oh, boy. Yeah. Ambry Thomas out of Michigan. He gets a million penalties, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Ambry Thomas out of Michigan is more of a man guy. And I don't really trust Michigan corners that well, but I think he has the tools to play well in our system. Um, And Robert Rochelle out of Central Arkansas is the guy I'm kind of keying in on the most because this guy is incredibly raw and he's pretty sloppy, but he has every physical tool that you want. 
uh, 32 and a half inch arms, sub 4440, uh, 43 inch vertical, sub seven, three cone, like change of direction is elite. Long speed is elite. Length is plus technique is all over the place. He has snaps where he looks amazing and he has snaps where he's just straight doo doo. Uh, Jason Pinnock. Uh, did you say that yet? From, nope. from Pittsburgh is a very good Seahawks fit, like an extremely good Seahawks fit. And what you want, you turn on the tape and you, you totally see it. And I could, I could see us really targeting him way earlier than people expect um, because of how, how good is his physical tools fit, but, but also just the way he plays fits as well. And he's a, uh, yeah, he's not in the, the big draft guide that we use. So like I had to kind of seek him out and boy, I, I actually like kind of really got into Did he come out it. this year? Uh yes. I, I've got I started watching him because Matty Brown uh from Seattle Overload and uh and uh uh what's the website? No, Seattle Overload Podcast. But he did a Twitter some Twitter talk about him and I was like, Who's this guy? I gotta check him out. And then he was in the the draft board spreadsheet and I was like, Oh, okay, well and he, he had it all green basically. I was like, I gotta watch this guy. <laughs> so so then I so then I watched him and yeah, he he good. Uh okay, let's go to safety. Uh ri- uh safeties. All right. We don't I'll... need say we don't need safeties. Oh, but I like safeties. Oh, you like them. All right. What safeties your uh who's got your day two? Who's your fave? All right, I'm gonna talk about three safeties. They're the only three safeties I want, and I don't care where we take them. Um, so two of them are from Cincinnati, uh, James Wiggins and Derek Forrest, and then Texas has Caden Stearns. Um, Forrest and Stearns are guys I think could play single high, which is something I always like adding to our team. They're both extremely athletic. Stearns actually plays best from single high. He's really good at tracking the ball deep, um, playing zone, uh, reading the ball in the air. That's kind of like what he's best at. What he needs to work at is his angles. He takes some Lano Hill t- angles to the running back, and it makes me very sad. Um, you'll be like, dude, you like, why did you think that was going to intercept him? You cannot judge two things at the same time. You might need glasses. But um, he's really toolsy, and he was really productive in a difficult role on a Texas defense. Uh, Derek Forrest and James Wiggins. Wiggins has slot flexibility, otherwise is probably more of a box safety or for a too high look. But both of these guys, really good tacklers, really sound players, um, really uh, high technique and advanced reads. Like you'll see them make plays like there's a play where James Wiggins picks off a pass against UCLA where he basically just runs the receivers route for them and beats them to the ball. Um, Derek Forrest has a few where you could tell he basically uh, reads the quarterback, figures out where the ball is going and just breaks on a deep route, picks an angle and runs under the ball, cutting in front of the receiver. Like just some really advanced play that translates really well. There are two guys that I think could come in and be immediate contributors in a variety of different roles. Um, I liked for, for day two is the divine Diablo, the that guy's a, huge, a gi- the giant Virginia tech safety. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, <laughs> just, he's huge. He's really smart. He plays really smart. He does a lot of teams see him as not having a role in the NFL. Kind of same way with camp that happened with cam. But he, but he plays uh, really, really good and lays wood. And so his name yeah. roughly translates to Holy Devil. 
Yeah, Divine Ooh. Diablo, man. It's uh he's awesome. And four 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 two forty two, which is way faster than I expected. Yeah, dude's freakish. I was like I was expecting him to be like uh kinda slow because on tape he doesn't recover super well. And I think it's just a um I think it's a, his agilities are, are not super great. Um but you can cover up for that by by uh, scheming. And I think that well, he he's could a be... straight box safety linebacker hybrid. Yeah, I I mean, he played he played high in Virginia Tech system because yeah. he was by far their most like competent uh, deep coverage guy, and so that I really liked him though. I think that he'd be awesome taking like round three, round four. Um, that's a guy that I I really liked. I like Javon Holland, even though I know that Javon Holland doesn't fit anything that we want. I just think he's a good football player. Yes, uh, but he's kind of just like a he'd kind of be like such a luxury item in our system because he could go literally anywhere in the draft. He's, and it wins he's kind of team. like a less athletic Ugo Amadi kind of role is what would end up happening. Like he'd be playing slot corner and safety backup the same way Ugo would, but he's, he's more NFL polished, but less athletic. And by now Ugo's probably more NFL polished. If I'm being honest. Um, and then, yeah, I liked all the guys you said, Kevin, by the way, they were all on my, uh, on my short list. So, yeah, I think safety's interesting this year. I actually think this would be a good year to like target a safety because there's a lot of good safeties. In fact, I would not be surprised if we signed like multiple UDFA safeties and yeah. just tried to uh put a couple guys on the practice squad because there are guys that in a normal draft or like in a normal situation would totally get drafted that are probably going to go completely completely unpicked because yeah. there's just there's just so many guys this year. And yeah, Caden Stearns might be sitting there around six. Last year, he'd have probably been around three or four guy, just because there weren't single high safeties. Yeah, and also safeties are great special teams guys. Yeah, this is it's just a it's just a really good it's a really good draft for being for for one if you want a safety and you know maybe the Seahawks do pick up one backup safety. We're gonna lose Lano Hill, and maybe we want to bring just one guy in for the for the end of the rotation. You know, that's yeah. We have nobody to back up single high, so getting somebody with speed would make a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have no clue where we're at for time. I've been looking. Oh my God, we're over. Okay. Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna are, go ahead and talk about there, uh, giant there, monsters. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so: head to Patreon.com/slash/SeahawksNest and for as little as a dollar twenty for a month, uh, get the get the off season podcast, get the the specials, get the all that stuff. So uh, yeah, um, just go ahead and uh, join join the uh, join the squad and. For uh, for everyone who uh, thanks to a new new Patreon Lazy and all the Patreons, uh, Lazy's been Lazy's been in the Discord too. I've been enjoying all of his all of his uh, chatter. Yeah, uh, and th- if you're not in the Discord, get in the Discord, man. It's where Lucas, it's at. Lucas, Brett, Cooper, Greta, James, Carrie, Ryan, Tom, Mike, Brandon, Nick, Sam, Emmanuel, Bob, EB, Floctimus, Folswabo, Jay. Karen, Michelle, it's really late. Mike, Richard, Thomas, Warwolf. If I'm not reading it with the same vigor as uh, as usual. Yeah. All right. So full disclosure, since you're at the end of the podcast, just about um, we're recording one day late and <clears throat> one hour late um, because my uh, plumbing decided to throw up. Yeah. And hey, so hey, let's talk about monkey versus lizard. Okay. <laughs> So okay, Eric, you got you you don't get to talk as much on the draft episode, so you get to lead off. What'd you think of Monkey versus Lizard? We're now oh, in your expertise. <laughs> Sit back, fellas. I got dumb movie covered. Uh, I thought it was fine. I did what not was enjoy Kong's it. Forty. 
what was Kong's 40? Uh, I think, what was it? Uh, 0.4 seconds is about, yeah, about shuffle. Yeah, shuffle. Uh, I didn't like it as much as King of the Monsters. Um, I felt like they had such a such a great budget for that movie, and it tanked pretty hard at the box office. That the effects were fine, but it wasn't. Uh, it didn't have the same energy. It was. It was like we're gonna concentrate a lot on this weird plot to um, make the best, biggest movie we can. When I just wanted to see giant, giant lizard versus giant monkey. It's just what I wanted. Uh, there's a. I, I assume we're spoiling this movie. Yeah, yes. spoilers are in effect. I had no idea Mechagodzilla was showing up, so I was very. I don't know, oh, very... they tipped that hard in the uh, trailer. Yes, but I thought it was just a tease for the next one because they talked about it being a oh. five movie, like they were gonna they were gonna do five to eight movies. So I was like, ah, it's King in of the Monsters future. felt like three movies, so that yeah, great. maybe I like King of the Monsters, but it because you know lots of monsters. But yeah, this movie was fine. I did take a note in this movie that I think you guys will really appreciate because I was like, oh, I should I should take notes, and I only wrote one down but it was the best note. Godzilla shows up in Hong Kong, wrecks the bridge just like a dick. Taiwan number one. Right. I thought you'd like that's that, a, Kevin. That's a, that's a, that's a great like callback to something that no one else is going to get. Yes, well, <laughs> I figure if I said that at 8.30 at night, you'd love it. But as it being <laughs> 10.30 at night, everyone's like, yeah, uh-huh, that's good. Okay, know, so my big thing in this movie was like, it made me realize like, okay, I'm watching the movie and I, I like Godzilla. I'm a big fan. I think this is pretty well known. I love, I love Godzilla. I love the, the kind of the campiness of uh, old Godzilla movies and, and, uh, you know, and then and there are some great callbacks in this movie. I'm going to talk about it in a second to some old Godzilla stuff. Uh, but, um, they, I made me realize like, I like, I connected more emotionally with Kong, with Kong, you know, like I was like, I was like very invested in Kong for some reason. Like I was like, I don't know, maybe it's cause he did sign language with a little kid or something. I don't really know, but I was like, I was just like, come on Kong, you can do it. Like go Kong go. And it's just, I don't know. That was just really, uh, really strange to me. Like I connected so, so strong emotionally, but it, I mean, it was an awesome movie because uh, you know, they promised monkey fights, lizard and monkey fought lizard a lot like it was and monkey it was fought robot lizard yeah and it was it was cool like i was i was, was like, bonus yeah, lizard that was where he shined so yeah i was i was i thought this was um a really good movie i i think it so if i'm ranking monster verse movies it's either first or second this one's either the best or, or the godzilla skull skull, island. skull island yeah and then oh, wow. godzilla, godzilla 2014 would be third for me and then of course king of monsters would be last yep. because that movie if they just got to that last 40 minutes or whatever it is sooner would be the best one. But like they took way too long to get there. It yeah. Was the like, plots are, the plots ruin so- these movies. That's why I didn't like this movie. I thought the plot was stupid. It was, the- oh, see, I felt like they got, they got to, so it was like, so, uh, so my review was set up plot, kaiju fight, little bit of story, kaiju fight, bit of plot, kaiju fight. No likable characters though, except for the, the oh, little what, girl. what are you I talking about? Podcaster. Kong and Godzilla. Yeah, and both, and also like I love Kong. I just didn't realize it uh, how much I love Kong. No, Brian, I meant human human characters. Brian Tyree Henry. Well, who cares about human stories? It's like wait, it's not Godzilla like... versus Kong versus humans. I said yeah, that's why I didn't like it. I didn't you didn't like Brian Tyree Henry. You didn't like that Bernie character. I love that. <laughs> I thought I, that was. I knew you would. I no, it was fine. It was just like. It was and he, they give you an emotional reason to care about him when he's like, when this when this whiskey can is empty, you know, <laughs> just just murder me, I'm done. And then he pours it out at the end of the Julian. Plus, I love 
Julian Dennison so much. I will, yes, I'll do. give, I'll give an extra half point to any movie that has Julian Dennison in it. It was not- basically the plot of Transformers. That's exactly what they did. These three people who are just going to stumble upon the secret to the to the bad guy. It it was too sure. Except all of the there. kaiju fights are way better. Um. So here's the thing too: is that the kaiju fights in this movie are the best in the in the series. Um, like the kaiju fights, and they're they're like. The be- some of the best kaiju fights ever put to, to film. Like they're Can I so tell you good. my favorite part of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the one of the kaiju fights, uh, Kong gets up and pops his arm back in the socket the same way yeah. that Riggs does in the Lethal Weapon movies. Smash. And that okay. made me laugh really hard. Let me, let me, no saxophone, though. Let me talk about cool, cool one of one of my, my favorite callback in this movie. There, so in one of the old Godzilla movies, it's pretty famous. Famously, uh, Kong shoving a tree down Godzilla's throat. You guys remember that? You oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. oh, yeah. And then they, they did that in this movie where he was shoving the axe down Godzilla's throat. And I was like, dang, what a sweet callback. <laughs> really made me think Wingard understood what a kaiju movie is and is not, right? That this is not like, oh, let's have a great narrative. And this needs to have like a like a really tight narrative and stuff like that. It's just like, Hey, here's some big Minimal monsters that are fighting each other. And like, there's a little bit of stakes because, okay. Another thing too, that annoyed me about that. Something that annoyed me was that they'd show a building and there'd be people in it. And it's like, bro, Godzilla has been here for like 15 movie minutes, which has got to be longer than 15 real minutes. You need, what are you still doing in the, like the 38th floor of this building eating at a restaurant? Like, are you stupid? Like, what is going on here? I there's some did stuff you not like see that. The other movies. Yeah. Did you not see uh, what happened? But I don't know. I think like it's the kind of movie that people could get really um, like over the top about. Like, they could just like really. It's it's easy. It would be easy to hate on because it's stupid, you know. Because um, it's just like monkeys and lizards fighting. Who cares? Who will win? Monkey or monkey or, or dinosaur? Like, do you want to know? Then watch this movie, Monkey versus Dinosaur. It's, it's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, monkeys and lizards are natural enemies. They said it in the movie. They didn't explain. <laughs> that was they did a not. Dumb they, too. they did not explain it at all because they don't. Why would you explain it? Who cares? Like, yeah, there were there were a number of things that were completely unnecessary. But I would argue the whole movie was completely unnecessary. So it was dude, fine for me. When, when Kong was. when Kong was in a when was in center of the earth and then he like uh opened those doors i was like yeah cool go kong nice really job, just dude. the entire center of the earth sequence was like it, it looked you so good completely without it but it was it was fun it looked really good and yeah we got to see him fight some some small kaijus we got to see uh him kill kill some more uh some more little guys found out where zacks came from center of the earth kaijus it's an enjoyable movie and like a lot of here's the thing is that movies like this okay they don't need to exist there's no, there's no like artistic imperative. It's not like, um, it's not like Parasite, you know, where like that movie gets made and you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is our piece of art, right? This is a different kind of art, but it's like the difference between looking at a really cool poster and you know what I mean? It's like, or like a postcard even like, it's just a lesser, it's a lesser form of the same art thing, right? Like it's, we're not trying to make the Mona Lisa here. We want to see monkey fight dinosaur. And we and and it happened. Sometimes dogs playing pool <laughs> is fine, but somehow still more enjoyable than the Mona Lisa. A Mona. Fun fact: the Jeez, Mona Lisa. It's, it's really small. Yeah, it's you'll you'll be stunned when you see it in person. That about the size. That's the thing that will surprise you is that <laughs> you'll be like, "Whoa, 
I did not realize this was the size of like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Like it, <laughs> it's, it's small, dude. It, yeah, it's I, tiny. And so like, I was, that's one thing about looking at art. Okay. Now I don't want to go on this tangent, but like, no, we were already way over on time. <laughs> I thought modern art was stupid. And then I saw one in person and I was like, Oh, it's the scale. Like you got to see it in person. Cause it's huge. The Mona Lisa was disappointing. I rather, I w- should have kept the internet picture in the memory. Uh, <laughs> Okay, anyway, for Kevin, for Eric, we will see you next week. Go Hawks.